The 69th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty and the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. I am now joined by good friend of the show, Isaac Shade, writer for SI's Tar Heel Maven site. Isaac, we were joking before we started recording that I hope you got your therapy hat on because you're coming on the day after another disappointing loss for Carolina. But before we talk about the Tar Heels, haven't talked to you in a while. I just want to see how you're doing, man. Doing well, Josh. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we uh getting into the new year here and, and uh, just looking forward to what 2022 will bring i got my booster shot yesterday i'm, I'm ready to go <laughs> now no, i'm glad to hear hope, hope hope the family had a good christmas a good new year and they of course are staying safe as as COVID's kind of ramped back up here once again and uh isaac let's let's let, let's talk about the tar heels i've i've got a lot to ask because i feel like i'm at a loss for words trying to tell my listeners what's going on but sure. there's there, there's one thing that I think I've been trying to figure out through 14 games, and, and I don't know if, if there's one thing that I've learned, and maybe you can help me answer this question. Through 14 games of the Hubert Davis era, Carolina is 10-4. and four. What is the one thing you have learned about our first-time head coach? Uh, the, the thing I, I was thinking most about this is not anything like stats-related or anything specific. What, I, what my thought is is that he is feeling free to be Hubert Davis. Um, and, I, you know, ultimately, long-term, I think that's something you want in a leader. Um, not that he's abandoning Roy Williams or Dean Smith or the Carolina Way or anything like that. But he's going to take those things and then do it in his way. Um, and, and I love that confidence. I think, you know, it, it might take a while to get that all put together. Um, but when I was thinking about it, had I put it in, in these terms for myself. There was one time I started a new job and I tried essentially to copy what my predecessor had done because he had done a great job. He'd been really successful. And I did a decent job, but at one point I had a, a wise, a long-tenured coworker pull me aside and say, hey, listen, you weren't hired because you can replicate what this person before you did. You were hired because the leaders thought you had something uniquely you that you could bring to the table. Don't try to be that guy. Try to be Isaac, be who Isaac is. And I, I think that's ultimately, at the end of the day, what we're learning about Hubert Davis is we don't want him to be some cheap knockoff or facsimile of Roy Williams or Dean Smith or anyone else. 
I think you hire Hubert Davis because you believe that his leadership and direction is what North Carolina needs to compete at the highest level now and in the future. And, you know, 14 games in, um, it's, I think it's just too small of a sample size mm. to, to make any long-term bird's eye view sweeping projections about what that means. But I think that's the thing I'm learning is he's going to be who he's going to be and it'll be good. I I know it's been 14 games, and, and I get that's an extremely small sample size. But he has his coachisms like Roy Williams had, like Dean Smith had, that energy, that effort, that toughness. You hear it before every game. You hear it after every game. But there have been three times in 14 games that Carolina hasn't had the energy, the effort, and the toughness that it requires to win at this level. And... and I know Carolina's talented, but I don't think they're talented enough like certain teams have been in the past where they don't have to play to their best of their ability and still win. They're not like the 2009 team where they could take possessions off and still beat you by 10 or 15 points. When, when, when you've seen that happen three times in 14 games, and it feels like right now you're going on one of those games every month. You had one in November, you had one in December, and then you had one January 5th, after he said on New Year's, he challenged his team for 30 days. If we co- if if we commit to playing with energy and effort and toughness, it'll be a habit. And in less than five days, you are back to square one. What do you think attributes to that? Is that because he is a first-time head coach? Is that because he brought in three transfers? Is it is it a, is it a mixture of the new staff, or is it all of those things combined in one that it's going to take maybe deeper into this year, or maybe in the, maybe even in, in the next year before we get to see Carolina consistently play with that effort, that energy, and that level of toughness that is required to win at the level of the ACC. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think you answered it by saying, ultimately, it's a combination of a lot of things. I uh, was really struck last night hearing Caleb Love post game talk about uh, that he didn't bring that level of effort in the first half. Mm-hmm. And he did in the second half. And um, yeah, so that is almost confounding to me. Um, I mean, you had a game last night where who doubled up. Notre Dame, Carolina had 14 turnovers. Notre Dame had seven. Um, you know, you saw the the three-point shooting discrepancy, particularly in the first half. And yet, despite all that, still just lost by five points. And so I think what you said about a uh, comparison to the 0809 team, where it's like, yeah, they can <laughs> they can slack a little bit and do it. This, this team is not – they might be somewhat close talent-wise to that, uh, somewhat close, but they are not – close enough to that from a team standpoint to where they are cohesive and have been playing together for two, three, four years as, as that team had, because not only was that 08, 09 team crazy talented, they were crazy experienced. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've the leading scorer in ACC history starting at the four for that team, you know, like you just don't have that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think there's just got to be this new level of, in where everybody's saying the right things but then something something's missing and and I'm hopeful to answer your question about is it is it this year is it later this year is it next year I, I'm hopeful that they can do what a lot of Roy Williams teams have done and, and really bring it together in February and March when things really really truly count um, 
but yeah, because of the small sample size, I, I just don't think we're going to know that. Is, is it coaching? Is it the players? Is it all that new brought together? I think we're going to have to just keep riding the roller coaster with it and, and seeing what happens. Uh, we're not going to spend our whole entire time negative because there's still been some positive things about this team early on in the season. And one of those guys has been Armando Baycott. He had 21 and 17 last night. You know, I talked to you a lot last year, and while he led this, t- you know, the team in scoring, it was the lowest. Uh, leading scorer in over 50 years in the program, and there were certain games where he wasn't featured in the offense. That's not the case this year. As much as Hubert Davis has changed the way they play on offense with the four guys on the perimeter, Carolina is still at their best when they play inside out, and mainly when that ball gets to number five, that being Armando Baycott. What do you attribute to what's made him so successful this season? Because I think we were hopeful he could take the type of jump that we've seen, but there was still that hesitancy because we hadn't seen him put it all together like he has to start the season. Yeah, that's, man, it's so true. There, I, I think there are multiple things that attribute to it. I'll, I'll give you three of those. The first, I mean, it's just simply age and his his willingness to not quickly jump from college to the next level. You, mm-hmm. I don't if you remember coming in, he had there was one and done conversation, uh, but here we are with the junior Armando Baycott. He hasn't short circuited the process. He's been willing to uh, be part of a progression that has been typical throughout much of the history of college basketball, which isn't what a lot of young men are, are doing right now. And so, in a in a day and age where players don't always stick around, he has, and it's paying off. Um, I think the second thing is hard work because that that progression and growth doesn't just happen by you sitting around playing basketball longer. Um, we heard that in the in the summer in the off season he made a thousand threes a week, um, and that's not everything he's working on, but that typifies what he's doing. He's putting the time and the hard work and effort in. So far, you know, in terms of three points, that's rendered one. But that's what it takes is that level of effort. And so we've seen his scoring average now jump by around three points per game every year, 9.6, 12.3 to right now he's sitting at 15.7. Right. And that hard work is great. And then third, I would say is opportunity. Um, part of it is what you just said about uh, the changes in the on-court personnel and um, both in the way they're playing and who is gone. You know, last year we had that four-headed monster with Garrison Brooks, Daron Sharp, Walker Kessler, and Baycott, and literally he's the only one of those left on the roster, uh, which – it's so sad because Walker Kessler, you know, he, he kind of started slow, but man, he is yeah going at Auburn, had a triple-double the other day. And so, but yeah, Baycott has all sorts of opportunity right now. He's the only pure center on the roster. You know, that that's not really Manic or Garcia's game. And so I, I think with the opportunity, um, that, that meets up with him sticking around and the hard work. And so, like you said, he had, my goodness, 17 rebounds last night. That's a career high. Um, so he's up to averaging a double double now. Uh, I was doing some reading on it earlier today, some some research. He's one of just 17 qualified D1 players averaging double digit rebounds. One of just 16 averaging a double double, 
and only five of those are major conference players. Um, and in fact, he's leading the ACC in rebounds, one of only two guys in the ACC averaging double-digit rebounds. And so, man, just making all all this growth, we've seen what he's been doing with double-doubles uh, this season. He's got 10 through the first 14 games. Uh, a little bit of context on that. Um, you remember that crazy season Bryce Johnson had in 2015-16? Oh, yeah. Uh, he set the Carolina single-season record with 23 double-doubles. Um, but at the same point through 14 games, he had, quote-unquote, just <laughs> seven double-doubles. But wow. that just goes to show you how incredible what Armando's doing early this season to already have 10 in that same stretch. Um, he's got five in a row double-doubles right now. That was Bryce Johnson's longest streak that season. Um, so he'll be going for a sixth straight Saturday against Virginia. Uh, most recently, Garen Brook, Garrison Brooks did that. He had uh, six straight in 2019-20. Um, and so uh, curious to see if he, he'll do that. Crazily, though, I, I was looking at the longest double-double streak in Carolina history. You got any guesses on what that is? I would maybe go back to the kangaroo kid in the 60s. Right. Uh, Billy Cunningham, he had 40 in a row. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that insane? <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, that's an ACC record, the second longest streak in NCAA history. And the, the next longest streak of double-doubles, Doug Moe had 11 in a row twice. So double. <laughs> but yeah, 60, uh, 60 was his total for his career. Yeah, I, I, knew, I knew you were going to have some great stat, some nugget for me like you always do. That... <laughs> That's that's mind blowing in a lot of different ways. Uh, when you when you look at what Armando's doing, what Bryce Johnson did, and they still had a long way to go to catch up to Billy Cunningham way back in the '60s. Let's uh, let's talk about the guards because I think all summer long, you know, when I talk to you, when I talk to anybody, it was well the guards are going to benefit the most because the floor is going to open up. They're going to take that next step, and I do think Caleb Love and R.J. Davis have taken that next step, but maybe not to the level that we're used to seeing that freshman to sophomore jump. Maybe that's because they got a new head coach and they got a new offensive system, but what do you think of the way they've both adjusted? R.J. Davis has had back-to-back really good games going back to the Boston College game and then last night at Notre Dame. That second half, Caleb Love was maybe the best player on the court at times for Carolina, even though they ended up taking an L. In that game, they both had moments where it looks like it's all come together, and then they have moments where it's like, yeah, they're still a sophomore. So, what do you what do you think of where they are right now at this point in the season? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, part of it is similar to uh, Baytot. It's just another year's worth of growth and maturity, and I, I think that's beneficial. You know, we often say that the biggest leap is from freshman to sophomore year, and, and that's clear with both of them. Hey, listen, Maya Culpa, I was completely wrong about the starting lineup last time you and I chatted. I, I think I said it would have been Walton rather than uh, RJ in the mm-hmm. starting lineup. That just, (laughs) I just missed that one. But man, I I think having both of these guys playing together uh, is is absolutely the right call. Um, And ultimately, yeah, I think they are adjusting well, uh, but there is still a long way to go. Um, Like you said last night, uh, Caleb Love in the second half uh, essentially offensively carried Carolina, but there was a lot of reversion to freshman year, Caleb Love as well there was 
uh, a moment right before halftime. Carolina cut it to four. I think it was 39-35. There's about 30 seconds or so left. And, um, you know, I have an opportunity to cut it to a, a one-possession game at the break. But he just bull rushed mm-hmm. on on the right side of the lane into an offensive foul. And, you know, it just missed opportunities. It just felt like so many times last night he, he was just going too fast, just trying to shoulder too much of the load on his own. And uh, and I get that. You know, we saw, we saw Kobe White do that pretty regularly, like at the end of – um, was it the uh, ACC semifinal Kobe White's year where he tried to hit a three from the right wing and just you know it, just moments like that where you gotta you gotta look to find an open teammate and do more with that. We, Caleb Love had another of those right in the final ninety seconds or yeah. so last night. But um, like you said, I mean, there's these other moments where he's just insanely good and and rj too last night he had these back-to-back beautiful dimes to baycott and then brady manic just for these great layups that were moments where last year uh davis would have would have tried to score that and so I, I think they are adjusting but i think there's still a long way to go i hate it because i think you know, we got to assume that Caleb Love's going to leave after this year. But, man, I, w- I would love to see the two of them together as juniors. I think that would be uh, phenomenal. You know, another year of growth, another year of growth under Coach Davis and his tutelage. Um, and so these guys are both hardwired scorers, and they're still learning how to be complete point guards. And I think for student-athletes who aren't by nature um, – past first point guards in, in the Kendall Marshall mode. Um, it, it's hard to get them to, to buy into that. Um, but goodness, I mean, they're, they're both making over 40% of their threes. Mm-hmm. And that's insane. And so there, there is growth. There's a lot more growth and especially defensively, you know, um, I think, uh, love has more, natural defensive capability just because of his size and athleticism and uh, RJ is just going to have to learn to do the best that he can with with what he's got size wise you know one player that has really seemed to come into his own and it's it's taken him four years has been leaky black and and, and I know from your time covering the program being on, on on social media you've seen the slander that leaky black has taken and you've probably seen some from from me because I've been I've been very critical of the player he's been the first three years and at times this year because you look at that guy with his size his talents you would think he would have been a much more polished player a lot sooner but he's really coming to his own this year um he's really because you know he, he's really become that defensive guy that he's capable of being the, the the other day at Boston College he helped run the offense essentially and with uh at at the four spot um in particular what do you think has allowed leaky black to finally come into his own and just become the player we wanted him to be his first three years in his senior season man I, honestly I think it's just having more offensive weapons around him. I think in the past years, there have been fewer options, you know, like uh, Harrison Brooks is is solid, but he is not necessarily someone I would call a a dynamic offensive player. Um, And so we had some of that, but this year, I mean, goodness, look at the rest of the starting lineup. It's all people that are just can pour in the points when need be. And so Leakey, I, I think doesn't have to shoulder that much, 
of an offensive load. There's just simply no need for it now. Uh, to be fair, I don't know the inside conversations between Leakey and the coaching staff. Per, perhaps part of it is Coach Davis has asked him specifically to shoot less. Perhaps some of that is of Leakey's own volition. You know, uh, you mentioned his great performance against Boston College with zero shot at um, but he's when you look at Carolina's plus minus, he was one of only two players with a positive plus minus last night. He was plus six. Uh, Love was the only other player above you know above zero last night with a plus one. And and on the season, Leakey's trailing only Armando Baycott in total plus minus. He's at one forty three. Armando's at plus one fifty two. Um, and then outside of that, the next close up is, is Caleb Love at plus one eighteen. And so. Man, you're right. Leakey is finding all these ways to help impact the game without having to be a scorer. He's, he's, um, man, every now and again, he still gets blown by. There was, there was a play last night where I was just like, oh, man, move your feet. <laughs> but <laughs> he, for the most part, is doing all these intangible, unsexy things that help should help teams win ball games, and I think ultimately it's just him realizing who he is as a basketball player. Uh, his shot didn't develop or, or hasn't. You know, it, it still could. For example, Theo is a much better three, Theo Pinson, excuse me, is a much better three point shooter in the NBA than he ever was at Carolina. So I'm not saying that'll never be Leakey's game, but it's just not right now. And so um, either through his maturity or through his willingness to do what the coaching staff is asking him he is impacting the game in the most beneficial way he can for who he is right now as a basketball player we're talking with isaac shade carolina basketball writer for sports illustrated tar heel maven site we started off i asked you one thing you've learned about hubert davis so far this season i want to know one thing it could be positive or negative that has surprised you about carolina so far in 2021-22 yeah, I, I, the positive is I, I did not anticipate how quick and precipitous the three-point turnaround would be. Mm. Uh, as of uh, when we're recording it right now, they're 12th in the nation as a team uh, with uh, shooting 39.7%, fourth among the seven major conferences, second in the ACC. They're just lighting it up. And when you look historically, um, this is the highest – team three-point shooting percentage since 0405. Um, they're even shooting a better percentage right now than the 0809 team did. Wow. I typically think of that as a team that lit it up from deep. They were at that team finished at 38.7 and so this team right now is a, a full point percentage point ahead of that. Um, if the season ended today, this team would be the sixth highest um, three-point shooting percentage team in Carolina history. And I think the reason that's so impressive is because it's coming on the heels. Sorry for that. Um, <laughs> of, the, <laughs> uh, of the two lowest three-point percentages in Carolina history. Last year, they were 31.8. The year before that, 30.4. And so to go from the two lowest to one of the best ever is is insane. And, and to do that with Kerwin Walton down almost – 10 percentage points on his three-point shooting from last year. And so um, that's just a testament to what R.J. Davis is doing, what Caleb Love is doing, what the transfers are doing. Um, 
you know, Gar- Garcia's three point percentage is a little bit higher than Manic's, but they're both um, shooting well. I know Manic would like to shoot better from from outside, and uh, I know Kerwin's out right now with COVID protocols, but it seems like he's kind of finding his confidence a little bit, and so um, I think they can continue to trend up. So that that's the biggest positive with me. I will throw in a quick negative, and and it's just to say I, I can't. I don't understand the the fan reaction to Hubert Davis. Um, uh oh, are you talking to me? Because because I've been pretty critical of our head coach. I I hear that, and I'm not talking to you directly. I'm I'm talking just to to the general Carolina populace. <laughs> um, I, I know there are expectations for quick turnarounds and to have lofty results, but. I mean, ultimately, when when I try to think about it objectively, it's the first time he's ever been a head coach at one of the most prestigious schools in the country, and he's trying to navigate all that, you know, as we were talking about earlier with COVID-19, we thought would be done, but still trying to to work through all of that. And so I I just – I can't figure out where – um, fan bases, I won't say it's just Carolina. I mean, clearly it's all over the country, have this expectation of it's got to be now. Um, the, thinking back to Coach Smith, thinking back to Coach K's early days, man, if if they were coaching today, they would have been out the door instead of becoming who they are. And so I, I, I just want to ask people to take a more patient approach. I will do my best, Isaac, to become a little bit more a little bit more patient with Hubert Davis. You know, and look, I'll, I'll answer with you where because look, I've voiced my criticisms of him, and and, I, and I'm not going to back down from them. I think you know one of them comes from the fact that, and I'll be and I was honest about this when when we talked about who should take over once Roy Williams retired. He wasn't my first choice, and so that's always going to be for the. For the Tar Heel fans, that he wasn't the first choice, it's going to make it that much harder. And I think, I think where I get, I'm not going to say the most, fr- I'll, I'll say frustrated. He says all the right things in the media that I, as a Carolina fan, want to hear, which is how 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 special this place is, what it means to put on that uniform and 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 play for Carolina and be a Tar Heel, and all that resonates deep down with me because I I firmly believe in that. And then when it doesn't reciprocate on the court, and it's already happened, you know, at least two times, if you want to count last night, three times in 14 games, it's just kind of like, and, and you know, it's one of those things that I, I think we want it so bad that that's where that, 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 that negative reaction is because we haven't won an ACC title in, in two years. And, and around here, that's a drought. We ain't been to the Final Four since 2017. Around here, that's a drought. I think we're so starved for winning, and that's what it really comes back to, that we really want to win. And, and you know, because whenever whenever they're winning, I'm not complaining, and I'm, most Tar Heel fans aren't complaining. So, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I'm... <laughs> It's it's been a learning process for the the players, um, yeah. and 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 for me as a podcast host and a writer because this is this is new, this is different, um, and because because I do think deep down while he wasn't my he wasn't my first choice, the thing I've struggled with the most with is that if 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 I don't trust Huber Davis, then that takes back everything I ever echoed about Roy Williams, because Roy Williams picked him to take over the program. Sure. Yeah. So you know, 
this is why I brought you on, because I needed your wisdom before they lost last night. You were going to give me a great stat, and you were going to give me some great wisdom. Let's talk about the transfers, because that was also a big part of the offseason Carolina brought in. Brady Manick, who's been a big part of Carolina off the bench. Dawson Garcia, a guy who hasn't lived up to what we thought he was going to be coming in, but you could tell with his absence last night he has value to this team. And Justin McCoy as well, who missed last night's game with uh, COVID-19 protocols as well. All three have had a role at different times this season, either as a starter or coming off the bench. What has, uh, what has impressed you about – we'll focus on Manic and, and Garcia because McCoy seems like he'll be a guy who's going to factor in really more in 2022-23. Right. Yeah, completely agree with that. Um, for me, it, of, of those two, I would say it's Manic. I, I know he's the one coming off the bench, but um, – and as we said just a minute ago, his three-point shot is not falling as, as often as he would like to right now, but I would say that he is – still the most complete player of the group um and even despite uh, what he's doing from three which uh, he's sitting at 33.8 right now his overall field goal percentage is just shy of 50 percent he's at 49.3 um he's leading garcia in points per game field goal percentage rebounds assists blocks steals and plus minus i mean it's um just based on some of those raw numbers and averages um, it's manic. He he has been around the longest, and, and we've said that several times today. I think, um, man, as teams around the country are having to put put a team together every year now because of transfer rules and such, it, that that um, veteran leadership is so valued. And let's let's say it: Garcia is absolutely the most talented of this trio. Mm-hmm. Um, highest long-term ceiling, the highest NBA ceiling. Um, but he's only a sophomore. He's still still learning. Um, man, he's had some dominant moments. He's had some games where I didn't even really notice how often he was putting the ball in the bucket, and he had 22 points. And so um, he, he has the ability to do that. But there, there are times, like you said, where he's kind of disappeared a little bit. And I, I feel like from, from my humble opinion, Manic is the one that is more often influencing the game in a multitude of ways. Um, and I think Garcia is going to keep growing into that. We know what a high ceiling he has again. But um, for right now, I, I think it's Manic that uh, it is the more dynamic of those players and, and brings the, the better leadership. Man, I, I loved him calling out his teammates um, after – uh, was it after the Tennessee game in, in post game? It was UNC Asheville. Say it again. It was it was UNC Asheville right before they broke you, for Thanksgiving. Uh, man, like I, that that type of leadership, the willingness to to do that, and e- even when it's not popular, but leadership is not a popular thing. Uh, you got to do what you believe is right, and, and he's seen it. He's been around. This is his fifth year now, and um, and so I, I man, I love what he's bringing, but I, I want to see both of them and, and McCoy. Um, keep keep going on because as you said I think McCoy's biggest role is going to be next year but mm. I, he's got some things to add this year whether it's just in some some minutes to give guys a blow or bring in some of that um, defensive mindset from from Virginia so I know you just said let's be cautious and, and be more patient with Hubert Davis but uh, you know th- there's there's been one thing about Carolina to start the year which I think was 
one of the most evident, most different things from the past 18 years, and that's been the rotation. Because we've yeah. been used to seeing Carolina start playing 10 or 11 guys, and in January you're maybe down to just eight or nine guys. But that kind of started from the, from the the jump where Heber Davis was playing seven, eight guys, and sometimes it's been beneficial because you know Anthony Harris didn't play in the game against Michigan, but really impacted that the, the game against Georgia Tech. But what it really comes down to is we haven't seen the freshman Demarco Dunn, Dontrez Styles on the court as much as we would have seen them in years past in the non-conference season. Knowing that come ACC play, we might not see them on the court. But last night, Carolina down three players overall. Two of those guys were out due to COVID, so now you're counting on Demarco Dunn and Don. Styles to give you something when they're on the court, and ultimately it didn't happen to the level that you would have liked or you know, even would have expected at this point in the season. Do you think after last night he will adjust or should adjust the way he's managing the rotation, the minutes of the guys coming off the bench? No, I don't. I don't think he needs to. Again, mm. I, I think it's ultimately. People need to let Coach Davis coach Coach Davis's team. <laughs> uh, it, it's so funny because a lot of the early talk was people being worried that he would be too much like Roy Williams, mm-hmm. and it turned into people <laughs> being worried he wouldn't be enough like Roy Williams. <laughs> when we're at now. And as I said just a second ago, you're never going to please everyone, and and that's leadership. That's being a coach and being the one, as he said, now I've, I've got to make the decisions, not just offer opinions. And so, yeah, it, it appears um, that he will keep a tighter rotation than Coach Williams. And so this is a big adjustment period for all of us, as, as we've learned uh, in the past, you know, almost two decades to see 10, 11 guys and, and it be trimmed down, as you said, um, whereas Coach Davis trimmed it down from the beginning. And I here's what we don't know again because of the small sample size. Is that what he's going to do every year? Mm-hmm. Is that he's just doing this year because of where Dunn and, and Styles were at in their progression? Will we see, you know, maybe some more of the freshmen next year? Will we see, le- you know, it's, it's just so hard to know with someone like, you know, Notre Dame only played seven players last night. But we, we know that's what Mike Bray does. Uh, Syracuse usually play Jim Beheim usually plays seven or eight guys. We have decades of information to know that that's what Jim Beheim's going to do. We just don't know that about Hubert Davis yet. So is it is it just this year? Is that going to be the trend? We don't know. Um, and so that's an interesting nuance to it to me is um, is not even knowing how that will play out long term. Um, so to directly answer your question, no, I don't think he needs to expand his rotation. Cards on the table, though, I enjoyed um, at Coach Williams' approach of casting a wide net and then kind of letting the players decide who gets the most playing time by how they perform. Um, that can cost you games sometime. You know, that was one of people's off-criticisms right. of Coach Williams was losing some November and December games that you might otherwise win if you had your best seven or eight only on the floor. And and that's just how he chose to coach. Again, let Coach Williams coach Coach Williams' team. Um, and as, as you said, Coach Williams now would be starting – starting to tighten his rotation up. It's just that Coach Davis decided, at least this year, maybe every year, we don't know, to do that from the get-go. And ultimately, yeah, getting your best players' minutes 
is the most important thing. It's choosing how you want to spread those out. And um, I think there's a pressure, sometimes it's spoken, sometimes unspoken, to play younger players before they're ready because of the fear of transfers. Yep. Uh, I think too many coaches are either pandering to that or have maybe made certain promises in recruiting, and so now their hands are tied. And thats I don't think that's what Hubert Davis is going to do, just like Coach Williams. I don't think he will make recruiting promises that he can't back up. We saw that at Memphis earlier this year. You know, they had uh, Imani Bates and Jalen Duren come in, and Imani Bates has a huge high NBA ceiling, but he is not a good college basketball player right now. And so finally, Penny Hardaway had to, you know, kind of make some personnel changes and not play him as much. And they're a better team for it. And so, you know, I think some of that plays into it. Some of that, oh, man, this pressure to to keep guys in the program. And so, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's just all of us adjusting to a new way of doing things. Just like with rebounding and three-point shooting, Coach Davis might end up having some different philosophies of how he wants to handle uh, player personnel and, and minutes on the court. And... We're going to, our bodies, just like anything else, we're going to have to learn to adjust to that. A couple more, Isaac, and I'll let you get out of here. Carolina's really struggled on the defensive end of the court at times this season. And I think I think that's where Carolina fans, the players, have voiced their concerns or, or you know, their displeasures. And then it comes back to the head coach, Huber Davis. There have been games where you could look at Carolina and say, they won that game with their defense. You go back to the App State game. I thought they defensively they won that ball game. Elon Furman. I know those aren't powerhouse offensive teams, but they still in those moments I thought their 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 defense dictated the outcome. But when it's broken down, and you go back to Tennessee, because even though like Purdue shot and scored a lot of points and they shot a crazy percentage in that second half. It wasn't from a lack of effort. It was you ran into a hot team, and they just made shots. But you look at Tennessee, that Kentucky game, and then last night with Carolina's switching one through five, even though every time they switch to put them at a disadvantage, this team has become frustrating at times on the defensive side of the court. What is the key to Carolina turning it around? Because some people think it's just, well, if they communicate better, then it's going to fix everything. But they're also, they don't force a lot of turnovers, and I don't think they've done anything to fix that. There's not a lot of full-court pressure. There's not a lot of the trapping, the scrambling stuff out of timeouts that we grew so accustomed to under Roy Williams. And if you go back to when I talked to you over the summer, I told you the thing I was most excited for was to see Carolina defensively because I thought the the Dean Smith that exists in Hubert Davis would, you'd see multiple defenses. you see him change things up throughout the game, and we're not seeing that to the level that is 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 warranting him still sticking in into his, you know, sticking to what he wants to do. So how does Carolina get better defensively? Boy, that, that's a great question. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, as of today, as of right now, they are 79th at Ken Palm in defensive efficiency with a 96.9 rating. Both of those are the third lowest for Carolina in the Ken Palm era, which is, you know, not great. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that, that goes back to like 2001, 2002. And so um, 
man, I think this team has the talent to be a good defensive team. Mm-hmm. You know, Lee is a great defender. Anthony Harris is so disruptive. I think if and when Justin McCoy gets more minutes, he, he can bring some of that defensive capability. And so they have the talent to fix these defensive issues, but I'm not right now confident that they're going to. Um, man, last night, like you were saying, was uh, it was embarrassing at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll I'll use that strong a word like even like some of the switching left the mismatches, but sometimes the switching left a just, Oh, it was bad. It's so bad. They would end up <laughs> people wide open on the perimeter or, or not running into each other or not communicating well. And so, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of work to do. Um, defense is so much about will and want to and effort. And so, I think regardless of defensive principles the coaches put in, I think it's ultimately up to the players whether they're going to make the effort or not defensively. Um, We have seen examples of the team uh, locking down as the year wore on, like that 08-09 team we talked about earlier. (laughs) For all intents and purposes, they have the ability to simply outscore. I mean, it was just what an embarrassment of riches that was to use embarrassment differently um, <laughs> where they could just outscore teams night in and night out and, and likely didn't even need to feel the need to lock in. But as we got to March and April, whew, boy, we saw the results of that in the NCAA tournament and um, th- just that combination of continuing that offensive performance with the defensive performance. And so I wonder if this team feels some of that where they can do just about anything they want to offensively. They currently, They've, they've had 50% or better shooting in the second half in eight straight games. In nine straight games, they've shot 50% or better in, in at least one of the two halves. And so they're they're doing what they need to do offensively. But it, I think it's ultimately just deciding, hey, we are going to be a good defensive team. And there might be some different principles we're trying um, and that we have to learn. And so that might leave us vulnerable at times. But, man, it's it's got to be everybody all in on figuring out, I'm going to stay between my man and this basketball goal. <laughs> uh, and I know that sounds so simple, and when you when you look at athleticism and, and offensive sets, that's harder to do. But, goodness gracious, stop the ball. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm not confident about it right now, but they have the capability to be a better defensive team. When we talked before the season, um, you told me to temper my expectations because I was talking ACC regular season title, one seed in the NCAA tournament, maybe even a Final Four appearance. And right now, Carolina sits 10-4. and four. We think they're the second-best team in the ACC for what that's worth because the ACC is having another historic down season. And who knows what that's going to mean in terms for the NCAA tournament in a couple of months. Yeah. What is the ultimate ceiling for this team this year? Well, as we sit here today on January 6th, I think talent, like purely talent-wise, I think the ceiling is the Final Four. They they don't look like a national championship caliber team to me. I think purely based on talent, though, and, and the mixture of talent, if it all comes together and, and the bracket breaks right, they could make the final weekend. But based on the current on-court performance, I think the ceiling is just simply making it to the second weekend. Let's mm-hmm. let's win these first two games, make the Sweet 16. I think that right now, 
at the beginning of ACC play is a reasonable goal. Um, from all the bracket projections I've seen, they're sitting right in the like seven, eight range right now, which means playing a one or two seed in, in the round of 32. And so that's always a, an iffy uh, possibility. Um, and as you said, part of the issue this year is normally when you have all these quad one and quad two opportunities in the ACC, uh, the ACC is rough. And so there just aren't going to be that many big opportunities for high level victories. Um, Virginia Saturday is going to be a quad two game. Can you yeah. like, what? Um, and that's just barely 75 is the cutoff between quad two and three. And as of today, they're sitting at 73rd in the net. So Virginia is almost a quad three opponent like that. That's bonkers. Now, here's the good news. They Carolina is nine and oh against quad three and four. So they don't have any bad losses, um, which which is a great thing. But they're only one and four against quad one and quad two. Yep. Oh, and three quad one. And um, that. You know, probably ultimately, if you carry on in the in the same vein, gets you into the tournament, but with not with a desirable seed. And so, I think if Carolina can take advantage of this this week ACC with a bloated record, um, they could likely jump up into the four to six range. But I just don't think there's enough quality wins available to try to get to the to a two or three seed. You know, I mean, it just. Like you said, yeah, they might, they seem like the second best team in the conference, but what does that even really mean? Um, and so, looking at the rest of the schedule, there are just five quad one opportunities, six if they reschedule the Virginia Tech game, and three quad two opportunities are left. The others are all quad three or quad four, believe it or not. That's just insane. Um, and so I, I think the goal is, man, let's just keep making headway in the ACC. We've gotten off to a good start on the road. You know, I mean, two and one is not a bad road start. Right. I feel like you should be three, you know, based on how things have played out. But, um, now we got to hold serve at home. I think right as of today, they are seven and zero at home in the Dean Dome. And so got to take care of Virginia on Saturday, which has not always been a an easy proposition for the Tar Heels of late. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see what can happen with that. Um, yeah, 7-0 at home. So got to keep holding serve in the Dean Dome and then got to keep stealing wins uh, uh, on the road. And so we'll see how that goes. But at the end of the day, again, despite the talent, it's a first year coach. And that's, that's what Bubba Cunningham and, and the leadership chose to do. And so in today's win now atmosphere, I'll just keep trumpeting patience, which is hard to do because I want to win a lot of ball games. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of ball games. Um, but but it might be a growing process, and but that ultimately leads to um, national championships, and I, I would love to see that you know resemble maybe kind of what we had in the 12, 13, 14 range that led to sixteen and seventeen. Maybe it's that that kind of lead up, which would would be great. But uh, it's just it's just hard to know in this day and age where the the roster is going to look so different year after year after year. Isaac, man. 
You know I enjoy talking to you. I want to thank you for coming back on to talk some Carolina basketball with me because I definitely needed some of your your wisdom on today's show. I mentioned that you write for SI's Tar Heel Maven site. Where can Carolina basketball fans find all of your great work uh, uh, covering the Tar Heels? Yeah, uh, the the SI content is all at si.com slash college slash UNC. And you can find all that there. You can follow me on Twitter um, at Isaac Shade, I-S-A-A-C-S-C-H-A-D-E. Uh, drop a lot of statistical nuggets and stuff on there. In fact, I'm actually in the process right now of um, about to start building a, a stats website nice. um, with college basketball content, major league baseball content, working on developing some new stats um, for people that just aren't out there right now. And so um, that that's going to be in the works. I think it's going to be a while before fully ready to roll that out, though. Well, uh, j- just want to thank you again for coming on. And uh, I'll, I'll be talking to you again sometime later down this college basketball season, buddy. So uh, thank you again for your time. Thanks, Josh, so much. Appreciate you. Go Heels. Yep. There you go, guys. That's Isaac Shade from SI Tar Heel Maven site. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to play you this week's ad from DraftKings. I'm going to come back and shut down this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Hockey fans, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has a no-brainer offer that will make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. The NHL got rid of ties in 2005, so you know someone is going to light the lamp. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code TBPN, the Basketball Podcast Network, this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager is required, only one per customer. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers I've been giving you over here on the Four Corners side of things. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough Blog side of things as well. Well, As I mentioned, that is going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners podcast. Before we let you go, do you want to get you to the website, HeelToughBlog.com? We had you covered for the Notre Dame game. Go back, check out the recap. I'll be getting you ready for Virginia this weekend as Carolina has their ACC home opener on Saturday against the Cavaliers. Football side of things, a lot of news coming out about players heading off to the NFL, including Sam Howell, Joshua Zudu, guys that are in the portal. All that Tar Heel offseason football coverage is on the website. So go to the website, HeelToughBlog.com, for all your great Carolina football and basketball coverage. As for the podcast, you know where to find us. We're on the Basketball Podcast Network. We host through Megaphone, but you can find us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Pod, you name it. The Four Corners Podcast is there. Give it a like. Give it a review, but make sure you hit that subscribe button. That way you get every great podcast, every great interview like this one right there in your podcast library. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of 
the Four Corners Podcast. I want to thank Isaac once again for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.